Hey, this is Jilly Woodhouse on the Osteo Business Podcast, talking all things osteo business. Here's Jilly Woodhouse, an author, speaker, award-winning business coach, and passionate advocate of osteopathy. So let's talk about log jams. Are you the log jam in your own business? Business moves and ebbs and flows constantly, just like everything in life. Sometimes the economy can affect it. Sometimes changes in people's demand. And sometimes because unforeseen circumstances arrive and shake things up. Happily for many practices, the events of the past two years have created increased demand for services. Many people are now cash rich and time poor when it comes to being willing to wait eight to ten months to get seen in this country's NHS system. Google has certainly been awash with searches for manual therapy to combat acute or persistent pain. And we know that the level of anxiety many are feeling is only exacerbating their problems. But whatever happens externally, only we have the power to adapt and to flourish. However, where practices were running inefficiently before, the level of demand has in some cases put a strain on the practice owner. Calls and texts are pinging, ringing and dinging at all hours as people jostle for appointment slots. Some try to sort things out by asking a few mates for ideas. Oh, but they get conflicting views and haphazardly cobble something together to try to fix their leaky bucket and remove that log jam. Because they know that they are becoming exhausted with the pressure. They're using up even more time and energy trying to keep up. Many are busy, knackered and broke. And that's mostly due to operating a faulty business model. These practitioners are therefore the logjam in their own business because they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> they try to do everything on the cheap and muddle by. It's interesting, actually, that some owners will spend upwards of a thousand pounds on learning a new skill to add to their toolkit. But when it comes to getting expert assistance with the running of an improvement of their business skills and operations, they will shy away from the investment. And so the cycle of running to stand still continues unabated. At the other end of the spectrum, some practitioners are finding themselves struggling to increase patient numbers and bookings. Once again, they are the log jam in their business because they don't know what they don't know. Perhaps they've thrown some money at Google ads, boosted a Facebook post or two or spent the weekend traipsing around the streets for hours in the rain, delivering leaflets through doors. But nothing seems to bring any changes or new patients. Simply put, the fundamental issues in both cases will be that operations are not efficient or effective. 
There is little or no robust marketing happening and despondency has begun to creep in. If any of the above resonates with you, then the holes in your leaky bucket need to be plugged before your time, energy and money slips out and you end up giving up. The good news is that once we have a realisation that things need to change, we can take action. We can get expert help to change things and remove the obstacles to success. All my life, I realise now, I've loved to work in small or medium-sized businesses. Only once did I work for a large London corporate, but I hated it. It took me over a year to work out why. Where I spotted inefficiencies and log jams, I couldn't change the system because I was a small cog in a big wheel. I couldn't affect operations and make things run more smoothly, save time and frustration and make daily tasks flow more easily. It actually drove me nuts. <laughs> so I bailed out and left them to their overcomplicated operations. I was based in Whiteley's shopping centre and it was the year that we reopened it from being a sort of run down old building. It used to be a used to be a department store back in the day. Uh, and it was completely uh, refurbished and recreated behind the original facade. And I was one of the team of five who walked in there with an electric typewriter <laughs> and a hard hat and um, got to work with opening it up. And um, one of the tasks I had to do at the time was, um, this was probably about 1989 or thereabouts, was um, to uh, fill in these forms, which were just an, a mass of red boxes down the page. And every invoice that came into centre management um, had to be filled in. So every little letter had to go in every little box. So the name of the company had to go letter by letter into the boxes and the address letter by letter. And then we had to code it. And those had to go in the little red one number per box. It was tedious beyond belief. I absolutely hated it. Um, and and it just seemed to me to be a monumental waste of my time Um because, you know, if we could have just stuck a code onto the invoice itself and then pile them into an envelope and send them off to head office, they could have then in the accounts department just keyed everything directly into the database and then the um, bills would get paid, etc. And it just seemed to me that this step that they had in place was just so dull and boring and pointless. It was, wasn't worth my time. And, um, you know, I, I just used to pile them up on the floor. And my boss at the time was ex-military. And so he didn't like anything not being done. So I was to get in terrific trouble for that. But it was just so pointless. I was just I just de desperately tried to plead with him and say, this is a waste of time. Let's just send the original invoice to the department with any notes on it to make it absolutely clear what the bill was for if they, if it wasn't obvious um, to the to the person in accounts but um, it just went well that's the system that's the way we have to do it so yeah drove me insane and I had to get out 
And I went back to the commercial estate agents and surveyors where I'd worked before um, and I was promoted to office manager. Um, there were three partners there and they were delighted to give me the reins saying, help, Jilly, the staff are running the business and it's affecting our success and ability to get on with our own work. They were wasting hours and hours of their week on trying to sort the staff out and so on. And they just couldn't bear it anymore. Indeed, the staff were running the show, became apparent very quickly, going absent on a whim, going on holiday without telling anyone. So the team struggled to cope with the workload. That caused delays, upset clients who were waiting for surveyors' reports and solicitors to be instructed or reports to be prepared, spiral bound and posted out by the arbitrator's deadline. It was flipping chaos there. <laughs> Instinctively, I took things in hand, glad to have some autonomy again, a plan of action and the ability to solve the problems, put better systems in place and boost the team and get them working cohesively for the good of the business. One year, I remember we gathered around for my birthday cake and the boss handed me an unexpected gift. I opened it up and found a large white T-shirt with these huge black words emblazoned on the front. Don't f with me. I'm the administrator. <laughs> it was so funny that I've still got it some 30 years later. <laughs> that same boss also once said to me, you always make the best of yourself, which somewhat took me aback. I was never quite sure what he meant. I mean, I've never been much of a looker. Although, funnily enough, I did once win Dairy Maid of Surrey. I think it was about 1983 and there were prettier girls competing at the Royal Horticultural Society, the gardens at Wisley. Maybe it was my deportment as I walked carefully in a figure of eight around some chairs. Or maybe it was my livestock knowledge. You know, how do you judge good cattle when at auction or what breed a sheep with black faces? Who knows? But I did. But I digress. <laughs> Funny times. Anyway, I've reflected for years on what my boss may have meant. Perhaps he meant that I always do my best in everything I do. I don't strive for perfection because therein lies madness. But I do constantly strive to improve my own the way my own business runs, how I care for my fabulous team, how I appreciate and develop them, how I transform not only clinical operations, systems and profits, but the principle too. Seeing how their journey takes them from stuck and unsure of their next steps to a definitive plan discussed and agreed together is delightful to behold. I just love it. Sometimes a large practice will come on board, tired of all the struggle, management issues and dismal profits, despite all their efforts. And I'll watch the owners' faces as they clearly see the path ahead to more ease, less fear and improved cohesion in clinic and sometimes up to doubling of profits. It makes my heart sing to gently guide these transformations. At other times, a small clinic, maybe just a sole practitioner, will look at me sadly and wonder out loud if they should just give it all up and go back to being an associate. And I implore 
them not to give up as we can definitely sort the problems out and get things operating smoothly and profitably. The brave ones trust my promise that they will get a far greater return on their investment than they ever thought possible once they've implemented their prosperity plan. Sadly, some don't trust either the process or themselves, perhaps. Their fear keeps them stuck. Maybe they're afraid of success and what that might mean. Who knows? But even though soul practitioners flourish under our wing, often needing to recruit an associate because they've reached full capacity. And once they have better systems in place, have fully understood and embraced the way I like to market the services that they offer, they are set to be able to grow that practice as much as they want. Seeing a previously struggling practice reach their full potential is what gives me a buzz. Hearing them praise members of my handpicked team who've taken away the dread of setting up technically challenging systems makes me smile. Or a colleague who's just listened and gently guided a frazzled principal and helped them to feel better and that little bit more confident gives me a warm glow too. Perhaps that's what my old boss meant about making the most of myself. Doing something worthwhile and doing it well is what drives me. And that's why I invest an eye-watering amount of money into my own coaches who expect huge results from me. It's not in my nature to let anyone down and I do drive myself on. My greater purpose I have realised with the help of one of my coaches is to help more people in the world to live pain-free. And together with my awesome team, we're achieving that by improving one clinic at a time so that they can reach out to and attract more people who need their incredible skills, expertise and treatment to help them back to health. Thanks for listening to the Osteo Business Podcast. Remember to like, follow and subscribe on all Jilly's channels, which can be found in the show notes. Jilly's back soon with more tips, ideas and strategies to build your thriving practice.